Good morning, everybody. Uh, it is so good. What a beautiful time of worship. Thank you so much, Patrick. That was just, uh, just a beautiful time, and I think it's going to just go very well with the, uh, the message this morning. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, for those who keep track, we started this series nine months ago to the day, September 20th, uh, 2020. And here we are wrapping up our series, Messy Grace, from 2 Corinthians, a year, nine months later. Uh, and just for those who are interested, next week we're going to start a series uh, called Summer in the Psalms. And we're going to be looking at different psalms. And uh, the beautiful thing about the psalms is they are so honest. Like, I love that about the psalms. I love that about the Bible. You know, they're deeply spiritual. They're deeply glorifying to God. But they're also heart-wrenchingly honest. So, kind of like that theme of, you know, there's grace and there's mess. Well, the, the Psalms are full of that. Uh, oh God, how long? What's going on here? I, I questioned, I doubted, I'm having a hard time. But then God speaks into that. So that's going to be a, a hopefully an encouraging time for us. So 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, if you uh, watch HGTV, you know that a little over a year ago, Ben and Aaron Napier uh, decided to take uh, their hometown renovation skills, and they decided to take those skills on the road. And so they wanted to come alongside a small town in America that was struggling and try to help them get back on their feet. 2,600 towns applied to be that town. Um, and out of all those applications, they eventually chose Wetumpka, Alabama to be the town that they would come into. This was a town that a couple of years ago was in process of trying to rebuild. And just as they were getting some momentum, they were flattened by a tornado. Just devastated. And so that, that tornado left them exhausted and disheartened, out of resources and out of hope. One business owner, one small business owner, shared that she was just a couple days away from closing the doors of her business. And along with that, all the hopes and dreams that business represented to her and her family. They were just a couple days away from closing shop when they got the phone call from Ben and Aaron, we are coming to Wetumpka. And all of a sudden, and I, and I was amazed how uplifting and inspired I found it to be to see people uh, go from disheartened to having hope, to being encouraged, to, to see the joy on their face as Ben and Aaron showed up at their home or at their business and said, we're going to give, we're going to renovate your home. We're going to give your business a facelift. And you just saw tears. You saw, you know, big men say, I want to hug you, you know, as hope was kind of infused and injected into their hearts again. Um, this town went from broken down to building up, from hopeless to hope-filled. They went from dying to bustling with new life. They, became, they, they went from a place where no one wanted to be to a place where everyone wanted to be. Um, and everybody got involved. Everybody caught the vision. 
By the time Ben and Aaron left Wetumpka, uh, they had made some incredible positive difference in that town. And they also, in the process, made some lifelong friends. Now what the long-term effect will be is yet to be seen. But they left the people of Wetumpka with something they didn't have before. They left them with hope. With hope. Now as we come to the end of 2 Corinthians, I don't think it's going too far to say this is a church that is dying. Maybe they didn't know it, but I think they were a dying church. When a church is full of immorality, when a church is full of division and hostility and broken relationships, when a church gives ear, gives, gives the pulpit to heretics, I don't think it's going to be too long unless something changes before that closed for business sign is going to go on the door of that church. There were people in Corinth who loved Jesus, no question about it, but the momentum of the church was going in the wrong direction. Leaving the church divided, disheartened, and hurting. So as Paul comes to the end of this letter, what are his final words? What's he going to leave the church with? This messy, messed up church. Maybe a, a parting shot of correction, criticism. One final thing. Maybe uh, I told you so. I warned you guys. You should have read 1 Corinthians a little more closely. I warned you. Uh, maybe just, I, I give up. I, I'm done. Uh, there's no hope here. What will Paul leave them with? Actually, what he leaves them with is hope. He leaves them with hope. Let's pick up in verse 10 of chapter 13 and read to the end of the chapter. Verse 10, For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for an infusion of Your hope. I pray for an infusion of Your encouragement in our hearts. And I pray for an infusion of gospel challenge to our hearts as well. 
that Lord God, that this morning You will stir in our hearts something fresh. And Lord, we pray it's from You. We pray we need it to be from You. Lord, we don't want it to be something that is man-manufactured. We pray, Holy Spirit, You will stir in our hearts Your Word to our hearts this morning. And leave us, Lord, not only with the hope You always leave us with, but God, also with the challenge, which is a great part of the exciting adventure of following Jesus. So we commit this time to You and Your Word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So Paul leaves them with words of hope. God isn't done with you. God hasn't given up on you. And Paul says, neither have I. He says, I'm coming to Corinth. I'm coming for a third time. And when I come, here's what I want to come with. I've got power from God. I've got authority from God. I want to come to build up, not to tear down. I want to come to help you rebuild what's going on there. Let's rebuild together what's been damaged. Until I come, Paul then closes with this. Guys, finally, finally, brothers and sisters, he reminds them, you are the family of God. You are children of God. And when, because you are children of God, guess what you are? You are brothers and sisters in Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. I love that. I mean, sometimes when people are going through a hard time or messed up or whatever, all we get our eyes on are their problems or our problems. Paul lifts their eyes off the problem, says, get your eyes off the problems, rejoice. Get your eyes on Jesus. When our eyes are on Jesus, there's always, always reason to rejoice. Then he says to them, strive for restoration. Strive means to work. It means to work hard. Work to restore what's been damaged. Work to renovate this church and what's broken. Then he says to them, encourage one another. Don't tear each other down. Come alongside of each other. Speak words of life. That's what encouragement is. It means walking alongside someone. And speaking words that pour courage into their hearts. You know, that's why the Holy Spirit is called the encourager. He's not the discourager. He's the encourager. He walks a lie. He comes alongside of us. And He speaks words of courage to the downhearted. And then He encourages them, be of one mind, live in peace. He's, he's calling them to focus on Christ. Because only in Christ. Listen, you know, in any church, you're going to have diversity and opinions and disagreements and all of that. And there's no way, it's not even healthy for us to say we have to come to a conformity of every single opinion. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about peace and unity that's built on Christ. Christ is what holds us together. And then his last words to them are really a life-changing, future-bending, church-transforming prayer. He says to them, may, in verse 14, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Do not think that's just, your, just a formality. This is a heartfelt prayer. He's praying that the Trinity go into action in this church that Jesus brings the grace the father pours out his love and the holy spirit deepens their fellowship the whole the trinity 
in action in this church. And this is not a individual thing. Boy, I hope you experience this, and I hope you experience this, and I hope this is a community thing. He says, I pray that this happens to all of you, that all of you together experience not just, hey, I feel good, but this is the atmosphere of this church that grace and love and fellowship is being exploded in our midst through the power of God, through the action of the Trinity. Community together experiencing this. Paul leaves this church with so much hope. And that's what I want to leave us with this morning. That's what I want to underline for us this morning. God's heart for us church is that we leave people with hope. That we leave hope in our wake wherever we go. The Gospel, the Gospel is Jesus coming to a broken, sinful not just dying world, dead, spiritually dead world. And He came to bring life. He came to rebuild and reclaim men and women for the glory of God. He came to restore relationship between man and God. He came to give us new hope and new life. Jesus finished that work on the cross. It is finished. He accomplished salvation, which salvation is more than just getting to heaven. It is a whole new life in the presence and in the power and in relationship with God. That's salvation. And it just continues right into heaven. Jesus came to bring that to a broken world. He accomplished that on Calvary. The only thing left to the job is for that message to go out. Alright? We don't save anybody, but that message is to go out. We are to preach that good news. And so in a sense, Jesus gave us a phone and He said, I want you to call and I want you to say, Jesus in me is coming to your life. Coming to your community. Coming to where you live to make a difference, to work with you, to lend a hand, to get involved, to enter your life, to help you rebuild by the power of God. That is our mission. We're coming to Wetumpka. We are coming to your life, to your broken world. The church should leave hope in its wake. And so, inspired by Paul, and things just that God has been stirring in my heart, I want to share three encouragements for us to, to embrace together, church, to, for us to embrace together. The first encouragement I have for us is this, that we, let's build with positivity, not with negativity. Let's build with positivity, not with negativity. Now, let me, let me say, uh, by that, I do not mean positive thinking. Okay, I'm not trying to say, you know, that the whole train of thought that what the mind can conceive, the mind can achieve, and, and those things. I'm not talking about uh, positive thinking. What I'm talking about is seeing the world and people through the lens of love and grace. 
I'm talking about building up rather than tearing down. You know, building up is a very positive thing. Tearing down is, is kind of a negative thing. We'll get to a little bit of that, but it's harder work to build up than to tear down. If, if you are doing a renovation job, here's what I can help you with. I can help you with the demo. All right, give me a sledgehammer and I'm there. But you probably don't want me after that. Building up is harder. It takes more skill. It doesn't take a lot of skill to knock a wall down. It does take more skill to build a wall up. It takes harder work to think the best of people than to believe the worst. It just does. Anyone can look at a Wetumpka and see what's wrong with it. It doesn't take a special gift to point out all their problems. That is not a gift. It takes a special kind of gift and faith to pick up the phone and say, we are coming to Wetumpka to try to help you rebuild, restore, renovate, reclaim your life. That takes a special kind of faith. Let's work together to build this town up. And I think that's what Paul does. He sees all the problems in Corinth, and he picks up the phone. He says, I'm coming. I'm coming to Corinth again, and my goal is to build up, not to tear down. Strive for restoration. I'll be there soon, and God is with you to help you rebuild. And then he adds in, uh, greet each other with a holy kiss, which we're not allowed to do now, you know. But uh, all God's people here send their greetings. What he's saying is, man, you're not alone in this. You are not alone in this. There are people cheering you on right here where I am. God's people are cheering you on even here. God calls us to build up. God calls us to spiritual renovation. And listen, spiritual renovation needs, always needs to be built on truth. It really does. It needs to be built on truth. If you go back a few verses to verse 8, Paul writes this, For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. The gospel is all about truth. God's word is always about truth. God deals with us with truth. Truth means sin needs to be dealt with. Truth means rot in a person's life or in a church or in a situation needs to be dealt with. It needs to be ripped out. See, I don't know a lot about renovation, but I know this, you can't build good over rot. If your subflooring is rotten, you can't just kind of like lay a tiling over it where it looks good, but, but the rot is still there. Years ago in our first home, the bathroom had a window in the shower, and that began, the water collected in there and began to rot the wall, which was an outside wall. And, um, and it began to rot, the tiles began to push in and rot. So me, as the master craftsman that I am, I took a white garbage bag and I taped it over that hole. I thought it looked great. I thought it was beautiful. But you know what it took to do the job? It took someone else. 
And they had to rip the entire wall out and rebuild it. You can't build good over rot. You need to tear out the rot before you build the good. You can't build love over gossip and slander. You can't build unity over anger and hostility. You've got to rip out before you build in. When Paul says strive for restoration, he means pull out that gossip. Repent of that slander. Get on your knees over that anger and hostility and jealousy you feel towards each other. Get it out. And then pour in the good. We can't build over rot. We've got to rip it out. But, but here's what I want to really encourage us with. We can't just be ripper-outers. We can't just rip out things and then leave the job. I, kn- I knew someone who became ambitious to renovate his entire house. And so he went to work. And rather than go room by room and renovate one room and then go to the next room, he went through his entire house, first floor and second floor, ripping out all the sheetrock, just ripping it out, both floors, leaving the walls down to the studs and piles of dusty, broken up sheetrock all over the house. Then he ran out of, or the the resources he expected to come in to rebuild didn't come in. And he wasn't able to do anything more. He was left with a house with broken walls to the studs, sheetrock everywhere. Unlivable situation. You see, ripping out without building back in is worse sometimes in the end than doing nothing at all. Church, we want to make sure that we don't get good at ripping down but not good at building up. We want to build. Let's not make our emphasis telling people what's wrong with them. There's problems. I've got problems. You've got problems. People in the world got problems. Churches have problems. We have to deal with those realistically, but let's not get good at pointing out all the problems. Let's not be good at ripping down and tearing out, but not good at building up. We tear people to the studs, but we don't have any idea what to do after that. So do we leave them with hope? No, we leave them with piles of sheetrock. I don't know what to do with this. We don't want to be good at that. Let's make our emphasis the Gospel, which is good news. The good news is Jesus has come to offer people new life, new peace, new relationship with God, new hope built, yes, on truth. Definitely on truth. But truth with positivity. It's good news. It's not just news. It's good news. Let's leave people with hope. That's the first thing. Let's build with positivity, not with negativity. Second point is involvement is contagious. So let's be super spreaders. After I wrote that, I realized, you know, maybe it's too soon (laughs) Uh, to use that term. But there is a contagiousness to being involved. There is a momentum. There is a synergy that comes with involvement. It spreads. As the people in Wetumpka saw improvement and progress in life, you know what began to happen? Other people started getting involved. Other people picked up a hammer, a paintbrush, whatever, and began to get involved 
They wanted to be a part of this thing. What God calls His church to be is a community working together to see gospel change in lives, inspiring others also to get involved, connecting. That's discipleship, that we inspire people to disciple, to be disciples, to follow Jesus in a real and clear and relational way. And to be a part of what God is doing. I think what we want burning in his hearts, I don't want to miss what God's doing. I do not want to miss. I don't want to sit at home while God is doing this. I want to be a part of what God is doing. Paul describes that kind of synergy going on in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says the church builds itself up as what? As what? As each part does its part. That's synergy. That's us accomplishing more than you or I could accomplish. That's what synergy is. Us being able to do more than you or I individually could do. There's power in us. There's momentum in us. God calls us to be. Everything He calls us to be is, is, is group. We are members of one body. We are family. We are a community. We are a people. It's all us. And it calls us to be involved because without involvement, a group of people is just a crowd. It takes involvement to make it a community. But the honest truth is, this is a challenge for many of us. I know it is for me in many ways and at many times. We were talking about this yesterday on our men's hike which was an awesome hike, by the way, in Letchworth. But we were talking about this component that, and we were in agreement, there's a part of us that longs for community. There's a part of us that longs for belonging and for being a part, and the energy and the synergy that comes from being a part of something bigger than us. There's a, there's a desire to, to be deeply involved in one another's lives and, and in the mission of the church and what God is doing. But if I'm honest, there's also a part of me that's a little uncomfortable with that. And maybe you too. It's a little uncomfortable letting people too close. It's a little uncomfortable to um, give up some of the independence of I've got my time, I've got my whatever, and, and nothing interrupts it. I think you probably can relate to what I'm saying. If we're honest, we long for something, we're afraid of what it might look like, and we don't necessarily want to give up the freedom. And, and I'm not talking about us moving into a commune together or devoting you know, 80 hours a week. I'm just talking about even just steps into some people's lives, some ministry some involvement. You see, each part doing its part. Not every part doing every part. But even that can feel uncomfortable. 
And there can be a part of us that resists that. Now, COVID didn't create this problem, but it, it made the challenge of involvement even harder. For most churches, not just ours, involvement took a big hit during the COVID lockdown. We had to unplug from things that we'd been involved in for years. We weren't able to get together with people anymore. We, we spent more time with Netflix than we did networking. It was just a time where we had to pull back from involvement in so many areas. And you know what? Some of us realized we kind of liked the break. Kind of liked the break. And I get that. And, and I, I remember when we first had it, you know, we had all these things planned for April and all of that, and we had to cancel all those. All meetings were canceled, and it's like, okay, but you know what? I don't mind being at home, you know, not having to go to that meeting or that thing. Even Sunday mornings, I could get up in pajamas and a cup of coffee and, you know, listen to the message and uh, come on. Be honest. That's not the worst thing in the world, huh? Some of you are at home right now in your pajamas drinking coffee. And you're, it's like, you know, those poor people had to get dressed up, showered and everything. And I'm, I'm home comfortable. I get it. I get it. And it was necessary and it was right for a time. And, and this is not to, you know, people have to pick when they feel comfortable reentering. But listen, here's, here, is, here is a big truth for us that uh, it was necessary for a time, but we don't want to stay there. Even if we do. Even if we do want to stay there, we don't want to stay there. Because ultimately, if we stay there, what we're filling our lives with is also emptying our lives. If we're keeping our distance from others and we're keeping uh, unplugging from God's purposes for our lives, we are emptying ourselves in the long run. For a time, it's necessary. For a time, it's okay. It's good. It can be refreshing. But eventually, refreshing will change its nature. And it will no longer be refreshing. It doesn't take long for unplugged to become loneliness, to become apathy to become depression, to become disconnected. It doesn't take long for unplugged to lead to those things. God has a great work for us to do. Some of that work is inside with each other. Some of that work is outside. All of that work has to do with touching lives, being involved, and spreading hope. That's the purpose of our lives. That's the purpose. We live here. Otherwise, Jesus would have called us home the second we believed. But we've got work to do, and we can't do it alone. There are no lone rangers in the church. We can't do it alone. We need each other, each part doing its part. And, and I want to hasten. I want to hasten to add this. This is not meant to be a critique of this church. It has been a blessing <clears throat> over the past year to see this church pull together through the COVID crisis and stay strong. It has been a blessing to see that happen. I thank you for your faithfulness. Those of you in the room, those of you watching online, I thank you for your faithfulness. This is not a critique in any way. 
And I also need to hasten to say that some in this room, some in this church have done double duty over this past year. They're like exhausted and say, you, you mean more involved than we are? Uh, some of you have done double duty. Some of you have gotten very involved and have done so much. Yes, somebody was pointing at Chip. Um, and I could name other names. You know, Ken has been, ama- I mean, it's just so many people serving. I don't want to even start naming names. Thank you, guys. We owe you a debt of gratitude. We really do. We owe you a debt of gratitude. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, God has been good. So this is not a critique. This is just to acknowledge the reality that like every church, we've probably gotten a little rusty at involvement over the past year. We, you know, last week I talked about the point of impact where our situation intersects with God's work. You want patience and you have kids driving you crazy, bang, point of impact. That's where God works the fruit of the spirit of patience in you. I think for some of us, stepping back into deeper involvement in one another's lives, in deeper fellowship, in deeper ministry within the church, administering hope to one another and to our community is a point of impact. And it's not going to be easy to shake the rust off, to oil the joints, to get back into the thing for some. But God will meet us there. That point of impact, that's exactly where God wants to meet us with His power. Paul leaves Corinthians with hope. But it's not a lonely hope, it's a community hope. He prays that as they work and they strive and they pull together, that's being involved, God will overflow in their midst, their midst with grace and love and fellowship. So here's, I just wanna encourage this Grace Community Church, there is more for us to do. We're not retiring, okay? We're not like, okay, we're done, let's just coast. We're not retiring. God has so much more for us to do. And I believe this of every gospel preaching church. We're not special. Every church that lifts up the name of Jesus, long as the doors are open, there's a job to do. There's a mission God has given to us. None of us can do it all. None of us are expected or can possibly do it all. God doesn't ask us, but all of us can do something. And God does expect that. Each part doing its part. So here's what I want to ask. You know, we're going to be seeking over the next couple months to begin to rebuild and restart some ministries, maybe make some additions, maybe take some. I just want to ask you this. This is the take home right now. If you feel like, man, my, my involvement muscles are kind of like weak, you know. I'm a, little, I'm a little out of shape with that. I want to ask you to begin to stir in your heart. God, show me where. Stir in my heart. I want to get plugged back in. I want to get involved. Lead me where I can serve, where I can make a difference. Folks, I'm telling you, you don't know the difference you can make in someone's life. You don't know it, but God knows it. And sometimes the smallest thing can make a huge difference in someone's life. Sometimes the smallest smile or word of encouragement can lift a heart that's downhearted and leave hope in its wake. And the wonderful thing about this is there's Holy Spirit synergy that happens as we do this together to move the mission of this church forward. Us doing more than you or I could do. 
So involvement is contagious. Let's pass it on. Let's pass it on. The last point I want to share is this. Let's believe, let's work, and then let's believe again. Belief leads to work, and then that work actually needs to lead us back to belief or faith. As we come to the end of this letter, Paul left them with hope. We just read it. Powerful, beautiful hope. But what happened then? What happened to Corinth after this letter reached them? What happened to the church that Paul invested so much of his heart and his prayers, his time into? We don't really know. We don't really know what happened to that church. Will Wetumpka take off now that hometown takeover is over? Will they take off? Will the momentum continue? Will those businesses thrive? Will will people continue to come? Or will they lose their momentum? In a few years, will they be back where they were? We don't really know. The cynic can say, yeah, there was good accomplished, but it's not going to last probably. Church, let's not be that person. Let's not be that person. Because here's the thing. You can say that over literally every single thing you could ever put your time or invest your life into. You could say that over, yeah, it probably won't make a difference. Yeah, it probably won't last. You could say that over everything. If we only invest in work and people that, we get, that are guaranteed will flourish and it will succeed and it will take off, if we never invest until we know it is guaranteed to take off and succeed and flourish, we will never invest this side of eternity. Because there is no guarantee like that. There is no guarantee like that. We, we invest, we need to believe God that leads us to do the work of God and then believe again, pray again. And leave it with God. I know Paul had to do that over again. Committing our work to God. We don't do it so that we get all this success. We do it in obedience to God. And the results we leave to God. Paul did what he could do. I do know this. Eventually, Corinth went downhill. But he made a difference. And we don't know how long. But God used what he did to make a huge difference, more than just one little town, but stretching throughout the ages since then, coming right down to us looking at this letter. What we commit to the Lord, what we do in the service of Jesus Christ ultimately is never in vain. Ultimately is never in vain. But in the short run, I know from years, there can be discouraging results sometimes. So we have to, and there can be encouraging results as well. We have to believe, work, and then believe again, committing what we've done to God. You know, as we close this morning, I've heard people say, 
and I've said it myself, I can't wait for things to go back to normal. I can't wait for things to return to normal. I'm not sure things are ever going to return to the normal they were. I'm not sure that's ever going to happen again, that we're going to ever go back to the old normal. And I'm beginning to think maybe that's not what we should be aiming for. Things have changed. We aren't the same church we were a year ago. Society is not the same society it was a year ago. Our world has changed. We've changed. There's been deep and lasting change. Let's, let's not make it our aim to go back to something. Let's make it our aim to go forward into the next chapter that God has for us. Amen? And let's go there together. God's grace, His love, His fellowship, His friendship energizing us to pick up hammers, paintbrushes, circular saws, and sometimes sledgehammers and do whatever God's called us to do to be part of rebuilding broken lives. Let's do it in the name of Christ and entrust Him. And as we do it together, how exciting to see what God is going to do. Let's leave hope in our wake. And as Paul prays, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, Holy Spirit, just stir in our hearts, Lord. You have gifted every one of us. You have called every one of us to serve You in different ways. Lord, every one of us is a different member. We have different gifts. But we all serve the same God and the same Gospel and the same Savior. Lord, I pray that, Father, You know that we have maybe grown a little bit um, out of practice, Lord. Lord, there are ways that we have um, weathered the storm well, but for the new seasons that are approaching us, we want to kind of regather. And we want to see that sense of synergy that comes from Your Spirit. Not from man's effort, but from Your Spirit. Using us <clears throat> in ways that may not get newspaper acclaim, but... but causes there to be joy in heaven. And I pray that not a single person, not a single person in this room or listening or watching will exempt themselves from that or think this doesn't include them. Because it does. Every believer, may we work together as a community to serve Your good purposes. And Lord, we confess to You that unless the Lord builds the house, we can do nothing of lasting value. So we're asking for Your power, Your grace, Your presence, Your rebuilding grace through us to make a difference. Give us courage. Give us vision. Give us unity. Give us energy. And we ask all this for the name and the glory of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let, that, let it stir. You know, this is just the beginning. We'll be coming back with some ideas and some other things. So this is the beginning 
of a family conversation. Love you guys. Have a great day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads.